Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Greater Than. Uh, Greater Than is uh, one of our first sponsors, one of the first people that jumped on uh, supporting the Fried Egg, and they are back. They have uh, had a ton of success. They have a coconut water sports drink, and it's been out of stock like most of the year. They've been selling out so quick, but they just got a big shipment in. And uh, this stuff is awesome. It is a healthy way to hydrate. It, it has It's low in sugars. It has twice the electrolytes of popular sports drinks. And uh, it's just healthy for the whole family. So it's a clean hydration product, greater than. It's tasty. They have a bunch of new flavors. Comes in some new sizes. And uh, great guys, they are big golf fans. So use the promo code FRIEDEGG. No spaces. Promo code is fried egg for 20% off your order. We are back with Jeff Ogilvie to break down what happened at Wingfoot this year for the 2020 U.S. Open. Obviously, it was quite the tournament. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau just was spectacular. Obviously, everybody's going to focus in on the long drives, but all in all, he was clearly the best player in the field, and he put on quite a display. So I was really interested to talk to Jeff about um, this weekend. Obviously, he had won the last time the U.S. Open was at Wingfoot, and it was a dramatically different style of golf. As a quick note, uh, thank you all for those who entered the Victory Club giveaway of the tickets. We have winners, Eric Cubulus, sorry, p- pronunciation is not my strong suit. You have won two sets of tickets to next year's U.S. Open, and then Joseph Turan. So, thanks to everybody that supported us and entered that uh, and signed up for the Victory Club and uh, Mark that the Fried Egg sent you there. So, without further ado, here is Jeff Ogilvie. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. How much of that did you watch with the time difference? Um, I watched uh, probably the last couple of hours every day. I mean, it kind of finishes about eight in the morning here. So I was kind of starting from about six in the morning. Um, I've developed a bad call of duty habit late at night. So I wasn't getting up too too early um, in the mornings. But I watched the last couple of hours enough. I watched the last nine holes on um, Monday morning, which was the last round. And I saw enough. I watched the highlights. My, We've got this good package here on the where we sign up to get the sport package here. It's not actually on cable. It's like a Netflix kind of thing here. So you pay a subscription, you get all the sport. So I can watch it delayed as well. I can just, I've got the archive kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I watched a fair bit of it, yeah. Just interested to see the course. It looked awesome. I was jealous, but not jealous, you know. I got <laughs> to ask, have you run, run across uh, Tiger in your Call of Duty late nights? No, oh, well, uh, he loves it. You'd be surprised how many people do actually. Um, it's this lockdown thing. I mean, it's really enjoy- it's a competitive outlet, right? For someone who's not getting to go out there and be competitive, um, it's good fun. And the boys and the bit of banter. It's it's all the banter, really. You know, the trash talk. It's that. It's fantastic. Um, I hear he's right into it though. He'd be competitive as, yeah, um, like super into it, and has been yeah. for like years. Yeah, it's one of those things. Um, 
if you're a military guy, it's kind of that you would that for him, I imagine it's like kind of fulfilling that side of his that dream, you know. Um, anyway, it's a competitive outlet, it's fun and it's banter with the boys and it's trash talk and it's harmless. It's no different from a pickup basketball game or something, it's just on a screen, right? Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Um, what did you think of the it course? Looked, uh, it looked really good, it looked nice. I thought, I mean, I thought again, they probably set it up a bit narrow and stuff, but that's uh. We can. That's part of part of the discussion, I think. Um, but um, yeah, look great. Look really good. The green surfaces look better, like late summer rather than early. I think those uh, they haven't really had a lot of sun and growth time by June. You know, at Wingfoot, really th- three months or something, right? Maybe two. Um, September. There's a whole. There's a whole another. There's a whole. The end of summer and courses in that area are so much better in the fall than they are in the spring. So. Yeah, from that respect, it looked brilliant. And Gill's stuff, like the greens look so much, it just pushed back out to those kind of odd shapes and stuff. It was grouse. Yeah, they look so good. I remember you describing the greens as, as like ropey in the afternoon uh, when you played it. Yeah, 06, they were rough. I mean, it wasn't anything other than it was probably too early in the year for the greens to have 156 guys when they were rolling at 15 on the stem, you know, like all the factors. And they just got to that point where the, soft spikes or the spikes would leave those dim imprints and they wouldn't come back out, you know, when they stay in. And so by the end of the day, it was like the surface of the moon, like trying to hold three footers, but that was Thursday and Friday. And then the weekend they were okay, you know, cause they had 60 guys on them, not 156. And that's less caddies and less everybody around the holes. So yeah, they were ropey, but that's a hallmark of a US open to be fair. Like generally most of them that they push them that hard, they good. They look good from, the edge of the green, you know, but when you're actually down there, like squatting and having a look in the shadows and getting over the little bumps and stuff, it's like, uh, they're rough at the end often, but that's part of tournament golf. I think if people have played big tournaments have often got like that, you know, that the greens look almost, you know, he's kind of killed them this week to test us this much, you know, they get really dry and they just get all messed up by Sunday and good putters hold putts in those situations. You know, that putt the tiger hold at Tory. When you see the worm's eye view of that, that gives you an idea of what that can be like at the end. It's just nuts that that ball went like went in, you know? Yeah. But that's the thing. Great putters, whole putts on greens like that. So I've always liked that side of championship golf. But saying that, when you turn back, you turn back up in the morning and the green, like Thursday afternoon, the greens are rubbish because they're just worn out. Friday morning, they're immaculate. Like no one's been on them again. I mean, they can get them back. It's just too many people in 24 hours, you know? Yeah, first tee time or, or second tee time off in a morning at a tournament is you just are putting on glass. It's just unbelievable. That's so good. It's so nice, cause especially the Friday morning because you've had Thursday afternoon, the ball's been bouncing around. And you're like, oh, nice skill. I'm going to go. i got to go out and do that again. And in the morning, it's just pristine. It's like, oh, how good is this? It's nice. <laughs> Such a difference. Big difference. What, uh, what did you think of the edges? Did you – I was thinking about it because, you know, a lot of people were – complaining about how you know the rough didn't matter but some of the back edges the wings which i think are really cool bring the ball back that would have in when you guys played it in 06 that would have ended up in the rough yeah absolutely i mean the greens looked the shapes of the greens are so cool that you when you play it you don't know the the drone footage is so good for that to like expose this like square fronts and like straight edges and like weird little shapes and stuff. And I think uh, you only see that 
on courses that have either been untouched from that golden age or they've been restored, right? And it was they didn't have like Mickey Mouse ear looking greens back then, you know, with big circles. They actually just fit what they fit into the place. And sometimes they were, they're really odd shapes and they're just so beautiful to look at because they're all different. Like if anything at Wingfoot, you've got 18 really different greens, but all within a theme, mm-hmm. you know, which is why every, a, a big reason why everybody loves it. Um, to be fair, there's probably lots of great courses, especially in Westchester County that have similar sort of vegetation and holes and they're really kind of really well-designed great courses like Quaker and Westchester and there's a bunch of others that I don't know. Mm-hmm. But Wingfoot's got the cool one. Like Wingfoot's got the greens, you know, and that's just what elevates any course above. I mean, the, the, the hallmark of the best courses in the world, they all have really unique, really crazy, really fun greens, you know, be it Augusta, Shinnecock, National, Old Course, Royal Melbourne, Pine Valley, the greens are nuts and they're really fun and they're really interesting. And Wingfoot's another one, you know. I was thinking about like the truly iconic championship courses that have endured hundreds, uh, you know, a hundred years are all have pretty much great greens. You know, you think about like Pebble, Oakmont, Shinnecock, you know, Country Club. Yeah, like PV. Um Augusta. Chicago, Chicago golf clubs got outrageously cool greens. You know, all the McDonald Rainer courses are cool greens. I mean, Pinehurst has very unique greens. I mean, not my favorite, but they're super unique, right? Yeah, um, that would be another one that's in there. That's, that's the really the whole course is about the greens, and everything else is dictated by the, all those great courses. That's a hallmark of it, right? And then it's the really great ones have a great hole before that green as well. You know, mm-hmm. but a great you can. I mean, the first hole at Wingfoot's a perfect example of a nothing piece of land and a really great hole. You know, because of one great grain that was actually basically man-made at the end of a relatively flat piece of land. Like, it's outrageously good, cool, isn't it? So it shows you what a grain can do because it's you've played plenty of first holes that look like the first on the West Coast at Wingfoot, but none as good as that as the first hole really because of the way the grain goes. So I think it's just uh, super important. You know, I mean, everybody knows that, I think, when they build a golf course. I just think those guys had such a gift, you know, yeah. Maybe the gift of less information, you know, they hadn't, they didn't have all these like potential things that they could do because of all the machines and the technology. They just kind of pushed dirt around until it kind of worked, you know, until the water rolled off and the, the ball would stay on slopes and we could put some pins there and there and there and see what happens. And that looks like how they made it. You know, they didn't go in with a plan. They just pushed dirt around until it worked. It looks like, mm-hmm. you know, and that might be a bit more organic and interesting. It's why the greens the last hundred years often look very similar, but back then they were all variety, right? Cause they didn't have a system like a USGA system to build a green. So they just kind of made it work in each spot, which might be a more interesting way to do it. I don't know. I think also they, the speeds that they built it for help because they weren't, I feel like today everybody has to think about this. You know, this is a pin position here. This is a pin position there. And when they built them, they could be, a little bit more random and bold because almost everywhere it was a pin position when the greens were rolling, you know, six or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, like you think about how many more pins would be on every green, but now people are like, okay, this is a pinnable area. And they start to think about it that way rather than I'm just going to build a really cool green and we're going to find the pins, find out where the pins, we'll find the pins after. Yeah, we're done. that's true. Yeah. They build, 
tournament courses, especially, they build with four pins in mind. Mm-hmm. They built four pins into their greens, you know, which is exactly the opposite of like you said, what they did. They just built greens and you guys will work out where the holes go. Just work it out later on. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is kind of really nice, you know? Um, and it that's really more sense. Fair. It does. And I mean, the old course was effectively was built in that fashion all the way through. It was just, oh, we'll go hit off that direction and then we'll keep going until we want to turn around and come back. And gradually it kind of evolved. The bunkers were where the balls would all go down and muck all the divots and like everything kind of just evolved into the right place. And the less humans try to manipulate, kind of the cooler it ends up, which is, you know, which is interesting. It's a, that's a deep thought that could be applied to the game. Well, that, that actually, I think, has a massive application at the moment, which I reckon I'd go into, but if you want. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah go for it. Go into it. Well, the Bryson thing, right? I guess we're talking about the Bryson thing. Yeah. And the world of golf is going to react already did react pre Wingfoot, but they're going to max react after a major, right? Um, at like the change and everyone's going to look at different sides of it. I think, you know, the players are all going to be like, oh my, a lot of players are going to start copying the method or the, the, the genius in is what he does is the fervor he does it with. I think it isn't actually what he works on per se. He's maniacal. It's how he goes about it. And it actually keeps him, present did you see him walking out the last he was on the last hole winning the us open by six and he's hit the fairway he hit the fairway didn't he on 18 i think he or, hit. or wherever whatever he was doing I can't he was in the remember. semi no he was in the is rough it... he was in the rough he was in the rough yeah because he got he, up and down short of the yeah. green and got up and down yeah. from sort of not far from where i was but he uh he was looking at his yards book for 200 yards off the 18th fairway like he's winning by five he's not like <laughs> talking to his caddy or how nice is this we're gonna win the US open. he's like obsessively looking in his yardage book and it got to me that's like this guy's doing this whether it's on purpose or not it keeps him present he's not thinking about winning the u.s open he's thinking about the five five point five percent whatever on the the bounce off that side of that little hill i'll have to note that for next time i come to wing for he's doing he's occupying his part of his mind that's usually worrying that normal people are worrying about winning or losing you know he's just so zoned in on his science that oh that's the outing we won you know what i mean it's actually kind of genius i mean um there's some guys like dustin or freddie who just stand next to the ball and wait for their caddy to give them a club kind of i mean not really i mean they're obviously thinking about it or there's the extreme end like bryson and i think if you're a guy like bryson who couldn't stop thinking he has to do it the way he does it you know otherwise he'd be off sideways crazy but that's my take on him and i think a lot of people will start sciencing up and like fat grips and like put nets in their house and simulators and try to work on all the angles and numbers. And I think that'll be probably good for them. You know, it's fine, but it'll mess some guys up. I think doing the science approach. That's kind of the thing that I take away most from this is the stones on Bryson. I mean, he was a top 15 player in the world. He's making millions of dollars a year. He's got millions in endorsements and he was, foreseeable for the foreseeable future going to make millions of dollars a year and i mean he completely overhauled his body in his golf game went and then went crazy with it and it could have not worked and he could have been gone off the planet like how many guys have we seen go off the like you know be never seen for five years if they go chase distance and he successfully did it but you were in that same position top 10 player in the world did you ever like think about doing something drastic to your game like he did? 
There's a few moments I wanted to snap all my clubs in my bag, which would have been a drastic move. <laughs> um, no, not really. It's amazing what he's doing. And look, historically, basically everyone who's ever done what he's just done has lost it, completely lost it, like never heard from again kind of thing. Anyone usually who chase distance, serious distance, as opposed to just letting distance be a byproduct of swinging a little bit better. It's an outright chasing distance is almost 100% of the time been a failure for people. So f- well done. Like exactly what he says. Like, how, I mean, incredible, incredible. Hats off. And he has, he has truly worked out the formula to play that setup, that style of setup. And you can't beat someone who hits it that far. Like that's the, the, I think the interesting thing out of this, if you go all the way back, it'll be the talk about the effect and what about the equipment and blah, blah, blah. But if you go all the way back to like Tiger winning the masters in 97. Yes. And he comes out and he's off the old members tees effectively. I mean, they were just behind the, it was way shorter than one at 97. It was 98. They put a bit of length on, but. And he's hitting wedges in and nine irons in. I remember they they showed the comparison clubs of him and Nicholas, Nicholas in 65 and him in 97. And they were a little bit different, but it wasn't crazy different. And then the whole world reacted to that tournament. It's like, well, we've got a tiger-proof courses now. We've got to stop this guy. He was the only guy in the field doing that, by the way, hitting wedges into 15 and nine on. No one else was doing it. And he won by 12. Like, mm-hmm. there's always the best guy, right? Fine. But the whole world reacted by, for want of a better word, tiger-proofing. And look... Distance had been evolving probably kind of in a linear fashion since the day of golf started, right? Gradually, and I'm sure the gutty ball made a bit of a bump and the steel shafts and it was a bump. But generally from Bob Jones, at least, till Titan 97, it was kind of a linear kind of gradual thing, right? Yeah. A few more people further, but it was pretty like every year you came out, like the guy, the new guy who was long, Tiger, that was like, you know, that's, that's a little bit longer than Norman used to do. That's nuts. Like, but it wasn't like this. And they tiger-proof golf courses. So now what pros do, this is a long-winded thing, but what pros do is every Sunday night or every Friday they miss a cut or every Sunday or every time they're going home, the him, his caddy, his coach, the family are going home, kind of going through, how do I get better next week? What do I do? And in my life career on tour, generally at the start at least, and everyone was the same. And you can poll players and caddies this from 15, 20 years ago. All we did was, it was, geez, I got a putt better. Because I made a few bad decisions. My short game needs to sharpen up. It'd be really nice if I could hit a few of those fades with a short engine and those right pins or whatever. That was the thing that you would go home trying to work on. Now, 95% across the board, everyone's going home on Sunday night. How do I hit it further? That's all they do. So the reaction to them lengthening all these, to effectively the tiger-proofing thing, where they just started throwing length everywhere and the Beth Page Black and the Torrey Pine South kind of syndrome that's everywhere now. All a pro goes home is doing. The only thing that makes a difference to your score really, or the thing that makes the biggest difference to your score is hitting it further. Cause when you got bunkers from 280 to 320 on every hole and the guy who wins is hitting at 330, everyone in the field is going to try to work on that. No one tried to work on that 20 years ago. It was just a byproduct of swinging it well, but now everyone is so obsessed with hitting it far. It's a disproportionate advantage by how they set up the courses. If they'd made courses shorter and firmer and flukier kind of, in 98 as opposed to longer and softer and more penal this would not be happening guaranteed absolutely we would work on what we need if there was a course if you there are courses out there like a i'll pick on the sand belt because it's right here the sand belt courses there is a particular distance on most holes that's the right spot um it's firm the ball's going to run through dog legs you could not if bryson played 
for a year or a tournament for a year around the sandbelt, his, the, what he would work on would be completely different. It wouldn't be distance. It would be shape or sort of distance control and stuff around the greens and strategy, because there's a finite amount of improvement you can get at those, those shorter golf courses, older courses by distance. You know what I mean? There's other yes. way. There's, there's more distances are proportionate uh, is proportionate to the kind of, having a good score. Whereas at wing foot, when the rough is like that and the course is that long, he can hit wedge into every hole if he hits driver, basically. So if he's in the rough, he can still hit the green or at least get it around the green. Most guys who are hitting it, say 290 or 300 as opposed to 350, they're having to lay it up out of the rough. Mm-hmm. So he, that there's a mass, it's, so, it's just completely disproportionate. So he's basically proving the USGA setup model, if we'll pick on them, the narrow long rough model it just gets beaten by distance and the more they do it and i see everybody saying we're going to have narrower courses with longer rough it's just going to happen more because power will always beat rough so i just uh augusta will be interesting because that's more of a position course but again if the courses were shorter if they got shorter we wouldn't have chased it the the longer you make the course and that's the human reaction getting in the way if we just sort of left it alone it would have evolved differently but as soon as you start manipulating and trying to stop people hitting it further the first thing you don't do is make the courses longer because then everybody's going to want to need to hit it longer you don't if you make them shorter nobody needs to hit it long anymore you wouldn't even have to change an equipment rule you know what i mean if you if you per se thought if people thought that this was an issue um there's courses in melbourne that are short and bouncy that 280 is plenty but 280 hit it, hitting it like Hogan would be a massive advantage. But at 350, you would, it would be in the trees all the time. There'd just be no chance. It would just run into the crap. The old course would be the same. If Bryson, if we all played the old course every day, 30 tournaments a year, no one is playing like Bryson is. They're playing like Peter Thompson did or like Rory at most. You know what I mean? Like trying to hit it far, but they're like, it's a different sort of approach because the question being asked is a different question. Now the question being asked is the harder you hit it, the better you're going to do go away boys. So it's having the opposite reaction of what they want. That's what I feel like anyway. And this has really magnified that. I couldn't understand how does he win the US Open playing like that? How does Matt, how do these guys shoot under par hitting hardly any fairways? I promise you, if you poll the field, they'd be like, they don't know how they, he did that because they were in the rough and they had to lay it up, but he's getting it to the green out of the rough. So Yeah. Amazing. I just, I just thought it was really interesting. It just magnified that what humans have actually, we've actually, the decisions to help, not help the directions, just to, to what, why has this happened? It isn't because the players are chasing distance just because, and it isn't because the manufacturers are making equipment just because. We're just doing it because that's answering the question we're being asked. And he's done it better than anyone's ever done. I think that's like the thing that people miss so much. Like your job as a golf professional is to get the best at beating what's in front of you. And Bryson has figured out how to beat narrow, thick. And, you know, it, like, it's so golf, though, that this whole thing, everything in golf is counterintuitive. And people That's think, it. oh, we need, to, we need to beat the long hitters. Like, we got to penalize them. Let's make it narrow and let's lengthen it. And all you're doing when you do that is you're just killing the short hitter, the short accurate hitter. Because out at Wingfoot especially, if you played great, you might hit 60% of your fairways as a short hitter. 
like an accurate. It, you hit 60% of the fairways. 40% of the time, you've got a long iron in a green from five inch rough, which is a half stroke penalty. You're dead. You know? Oh, yeah. So, so seven holes, you're dead. You know? And, and Bryson, he didn't, it didn't matter as long as he hit it to the right side that let him have an open shot into the green. He knew it was so. I what I wrote after was that the setup was extremely predictable and the rough being so lush. Not necessarily like you know you think about the rough like if that was wispy, unpredictable, fescue rough, or even that three or four inch rough that's super unpredictable, especially for a high speed player where you're really worried: is this ball going to jump? Is it coming out dead? Is it going to knuckle? Like. And you don't know it. Getting that unpredictability is the only way, in my opinion, you can really stop distance outside of going to something like you were talking about, maybe 6,000 yards, no par wide. Well, if you don't ask, I'm not saying all in all cases, but it's just an example of, yeah, like you said, it's, it's the counterintuitiveness. Like, while wow, they're hitting it long now, we better challenge them more. Well, with length and if you challenge with length it's just we're just gonna hit it further and the the, the they're gonna make balls and clubs that go further and the pros are gonna go home and find out devices and ways and eat more food or whatever it is which is, if that's the question being asked, if that's the the skill required we're gonna work it out people are gonna work it out and they're gonna do it better than you can imagine they do it because that's always in athletics people just advance the sport right that's always gonna happen i like you're right flyer rough would make a massive difference like true true fluky crazy flyer rough. I mean, I'd like to see a bit more width. So yes. they get so narrow US opens that straight hitters can't hit all the fairways, you know, and they, they lose their advantage because it's almost imp- everybody's missing them anyway. You know, they're so narrow, but flyer rough is very, you couldn't hit greens out of flyer rough at Wingfoot. There's no chance. Well, well, you would, you could, but you couldn't consistently have a plan out of the rough because every lie would be different. You know, it's so fluky. The, the variety that you were talking about. And it, it's and it, if you misjudge one or two, you get in there the next hole. All of a sudden, now you got doubt. Like it, it builds, and that's just. And I agree with you with the width thing. And I, uh, you played at Chambers. If you drove it well out there, you could have every fairway, right? Absolutely, yeah. You did. You could hit every fairway for the week without being outrageously straight either. But hitting it in the right places wasn't super easy. And the ball, I mean, look at the score. That was only that was single digits under par, wasn't it? That was a, not far from par. Mm-hmm. And the greens were really ropey. If the greens were good there, they would have been quite low. But um, the flukiness, the, the, the irony is the flukier kind of the course is, in other words, the, the more variety and the kind of random bounces and different lies here and there, it actually ends up more fair. You know, which is again one of those counterintuitive things. If ever, if it's St Andrews, the old course to me is the fairest course there is. But the the kick on it is it's the most unfair course it is. But when you play it for real for for a long time, you realise when you hit it in the right kind of areas with the right shots, you get good bounces almost all the time. But in the wrong areas, you get bad bounces all the time. You know what I mean? So it actually it it's a more interesting ask when there's width and firmness. You know, it's an it's a more interesting challenge. I mean, Wingfoot's a great the mint course and set up like it was last week. It's still a cool challenge and it's fun to watch, but it's 
there's less dimensions to a challenge like that. If if the deciding factor is going to be, if you can edit 350 and be really great out of the rough and you can complete the whole around, if you're good enough around the greens, but 350, you're going to be fine. If that's the question asked, it just gets less interesting to watch. It'd be more fun to see Zach Johnson come up the last few holes against Rory and Bryson and, and, and him have a big advantage being the player that he is versus the big advantage that they have. You know, each one gets their chance, but they're taking they're taking the ability to compete in tournaments like that away by just for guys like Zach, by just adding so much length and so much long grass that it just gets really hard unless you hit it that far. I hadn't looked at stats. Zach Johnson picked up, I think 10.8 shots on the greens last. I mean, like maybe putted the best he's ever put in his life and finished 12 shots back. Yeah, I was. Just, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, that's kind of where it's at, and so you wonder why the two, pro professional golf and the golf landscape will be less interesting if he can't, if guys like him can't compete anymore. You know, that guy's won at St Andrews and Augusta, and he was a, a really good like weekend away from winning Wingfoot St Andrews and Augusta. Can you imagine, like, what a career! And it, but it's been taken away from him a little bit. Um, he could absolutely still win at Wingfoot, but like you said, was he plus ten on the greens? Plus ten, and he was twelve behind. Like what? <laughs> like you know? So that's that's kind of explains the whole thing. That's a really interesting stat. I didn't know that. That's crazy. But that's yeah. ultimately frustrating for Zach. You know, like that was Webb was plus eight. Webb's the same. I mean, what a player. You know what I mean? Top five player in the world had no chance, and he had it. One of his probably one of the best putting weeks of his career. Yeah, I mean, no chance. I think is extreme. I think they could have won, but it was obviously clearly very difficult in the end. I mean, six under, missing a bunt, and then hitting twenty low twenties in the fairways. Like you just you look at the numbers, and Rory's comments were like, "I just don't understand how this is working." Like he can't compute it in his head. The numbers don't. Bryson's so imp- it's so impressive what he's done. He, no. No one can work out. No one can work out why it works because it's just completely different approach it's amazing given how far he hits it the accuracy is actually astounding because he's gotten straighter and he's gained 30 yards 30 yards is crazy i mean if you get five i know there's all this this crap oh we've got the new ball the new driver everyone comes oh i got 20 yards this year the new driver's nuts you know but no one ever actually does because if they did everyone would hit it 300 yards longer than they did 20 years ago but um he truly gained 30 yards which is just i've never seen anybody do that and like i said hit it straighter so he can he can't really probably definitely hit a 20 yard wide us open fairway but he's good enough to hit it on the side of the fairway that he wants like you say and he's depth of preparation is so amazing that he's probably worked out the areas of the rough that he can be in that are where his driver's going to be, you know, or the right, the rough on the right side's better because I can hit it out of that. The one on the left's really thick, you know, he would have gone to that level of stuff. And if you've got, if you can hit it 350 and hit it within, I don't know, 10 yards of where you're aiming or something, that's just what a, what an advantage, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, he he listened, he's he said he heard that Phil and you uh talked about how good they how good you guys chipped it mm-hmm. uh before it, so he also like does his homework that's the the thing you can't take away is you know frankly he's outworked everybody else on tour 
Look, fair play. I think he's awesome. I mean, he's, it's nuts. I think it's really, really cool. And everyone's freaking out, but like, well, a lot of people think he's awesome. I think he's awesome. What he's done is awesome. He is just, as I've said, he is answering the question that's being asked and he's doing it better than anyone's ever done it, you know? Like, and it looks different from how it did for the last hundred years. So people are flipping out a little bit. Like as Tiger and Rory and Dustin, they're just kind of an evolution of Sneed and Jones and Hogan and Nicholas and all. I mean, they're similar, but Bryson's completely different, right? He's he's like Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Mac O'Grady in one, you know? And it's like, what is going on here? If you had like 20 of them, it would be a, it's like NBA level body difference from normal society, right? Did you ever play with Mac O'Grady? No, no. <laughs> Story, the stories. I've, I went down a rabbit hole one night on that guy. It's it's just unbelievable. Oh, he's a legend. Yeah, I mean, I uh, he's everyone who's ever spent a bit of time with him loves him though. They think he's an absolute legend of the game, you know. But just as nutty as Bryson, um, or more so, really. I mean, he's got his left-handed action, so he did his le- he mastered his left-handed swing, so he could work on things, so he could apply them to his right-handed swing. I mean, that's next level, right? But he hit it really well, and he's still probably a lot of guys' technical. They Bryson and him have ever. I don't know if Bryson's ever talked to him, but they probably have an interesting chat. I reckon those two. So here's something I I pulled up because I was I just started thinking about the unpredictability, and I feel like the open. That's unpredictability at its best, right? Mm-hmm. So the last five winners of the U.S. Open, their distance rank, Bryson 1, Woodland 13, uh, Brooks 8, Brooks 7, 2016. Who was 2016? That would have been Brooks. Dustin. Dust, Dustin. Dustin second. Dustin, uh, Brooks, Brooks, Woodland, Bryson, yeah. And you, it, So then you go to the Open, we got 63rd in distance which would have been, uh, who was last year? Lowry. He can still move it. Then you got 52nd in Molinari, 45th, and that would have been Spieth, and 2016, 82nd. Yeah, it's not that that those guys, the guys who are Bryson can't win the Open. It's just, it asks different questions. You know, the question isn't the further you get it, the better you'll be. The question is be in the right position and the better you'll be. And in some cases, that's a really long way. In some cases, it's not. Whereas Wingfoot, or not picking on Wingfoot because Wingfoot's amazing, but that long, narrow USGA-style setup, the traditional one, the further up the fairway you're going to be. The, the real question being asked is distance. Whereas at the Open, it's distance and other things as well, you know. So it's just it's a bigger question, which Bryson, by the way, would work out. Like I, I think Bryson would be the best on any question being asked. It's just that, and I love the way he's going about it. He's advancing the sport and he's, he's getting people to look at it different ways and it's just nuts. But I would just like the question asked to slightly start changing a little bit so the chase isn't just out and out power. It's better shapes and draws and fades and spin and flight and golf craft as opposed to just out and out. I think distance is a great thing to chase, but I think it should be proportionately rewarded, not disproportionately rewarded. And I think it'd be a more balanced, fun game to watch because it'd just be more balanced. Augusta's held on to that too, where it's not dominate. Everybody talks about it's being dominated by power players, but you look at the last five years and nobody that's like bona fide power players won. Yeah, you can't hit it short and win there. Um, it certainly is a required element, but it's not 
disproportionately rewarded. It might be interesting if he's at three fifty. I mean, if you think thirteen, he just goes whoosh. You know, he's hitting under the fourteenth fairway. Eleven, he's hitting wedge in ten. Well, ten, he's got to see ten. You got to hit it where you need to hit it. Nine, he's on the upslope. Eight, he's over the bunker. Yeah, it's going to make a difference if he can drive it well. It's different though. The question being asked after the drive. Um, Augusta is very about being in the right position, you know. Like Wingfoot's about being in the right position too, but they but, basically put grass over a lot of the good positions. Yeah, right? they tell like and they rough. tell you where this is the position you're hitting from if you want you to be in to the fairway. Because like you can't yeah. hit it to the side of the fairway when it's 20 yards wide. No, there is no side, right? You yeah. can kind of touch the rough on both sides almost. Yeah, um, it's um, Augusta will be interesting. I mean, he's got a massive advantage. I mean, if you think about one, he can hit it over the bunker. Two, he can hit it halfway down the hill. Three, he's on the green with. He's less than a driver, you know, five. I don't know. Maybe the new 50 can hit it all the way out there and have short. I mean, it's a big advantage, but um, there's a lot of guys who are really good at the masters who have played a lot more masters than him, you know, and the masters, it, it'll Augusta will always be that course where the 20 year masters veterans will have just an advantage. Now, I've played with Freddie there when he was in his fifties. It's just nuts how well he plays that course. Like it's just crazy. No matter how he's hitting it, he's hitting it at spots where he can have a chance, you know. And so Bryson, I don't know. You can probably science that a little bit, and I reckon he'll do really well. No greens think, books. Yeah, no greens books, but that's fine. I think you can. Uh, he'll work it out. The old school way at Augusta is to know where the twelfth, the eleventh, and twelfth green are, and everything kind of goes that direction. And like he'll work it out. He'll work that stuff fine. But the. Uh, you have to be elite around. You have to be elite around the greens that week, and he is elite around the greens. But there's guys who are better around the greens. You know, his massive advantage is they're hitting it right. Um, and look, he hits it long, but he isn't at Augusta. It's not like he's if he misses a fairway at Wingfoot, he can hit a wedge under the green. Even Rory and Dustin, maybe they got an eight iron, and maybe that's just a layup. You know what I mean? or yeah. not hitting it on the green. They're, they're missing the green and then trying to get them down, whereas he's hitting his wedge out of the rough on the green. Augusta, eight under wedge isn't as different because if they'll both be on short grass, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and if everyone's in the rough all week, the power, most powerful guy wins, period. That's always going to be true, I think, as long as he's a good... If, all other things being equal. Like, all other things being equal. That's why Seve know? wanted courses all of, only rough, right? Yeah, he would have won every week. It was all rough because he was in there all week. <laughs> But power, yeah. I mean, Tiger was miraculous. I mean, great players have always been powerful and great out of rough. And Bryce has just taken it to another level a little bit. Plus, he, like, he is so straight. The Masters will be really interesting, actually. It asks a different question than Wingfoot does. But um, he'll be all high and up and about. And he's clearly the best player in the world when he, like, certain weeks when he turns up, you know. What were you guys hitting into 16? I, I know the wind might have been different. Oh, I couldn't understand it. He was like where he was driving it. Like that's where I would be laying it up to if I didn't rough. Like that was, I think in 06, that was 496 as well. I think that was the longest par five we'd had in the US Open. Par four we'd had in the US Open to that point, 16. And now there was three or four long. There's been plenty like 520 and stuff, but it was really long. I don't know. I mean, it would have been a six on after smashing it, you know, would have been a 200 yard six. I would have been... 300 yards that rolled out 30 and hit a six on in. But if you miss a fairway and you kind of necked it a bit, it would have been 225 out of the rough. Yeah, that was a long hole. A nine, hitting wedges and nine on and a nine? Or what? Like, what? 
from a first tee further back. I mean, we were hitting five, we were hitting five and six irons in for our second on a when it was 20, 30 yards shorter. That's yeah, it, it, the sixteenth and the the fifth at Augusta National are like they're like the case studies for clubs that want to get longer and and then you know like Wingfoot one of the members donated the property so they could get longer there but you know with Augusta spending millions to get longer you know and and then you know within two years we might see Augusta's fifth tee completely irrelevant made irrelevant by Bryson yeah and again the 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 distance thing, if people, if we start at, if we continue to add distance, people are just going to continue to chase distance. Like if I, if, I mean, I would be a really interesting experiment for them to shorten Augusta and firm it up. See what would happen. Shorten, shorten, of course, firm it up, have fly a rough. Like you say, stop irrigating the rough. Just make it, you can have it narrow if you want. I mean, it's better wide, but you can have it narrow if you want, but just have fly a rough, like you say. And that would be, uh, Bryson, I think would work it out, but it would be a different looking game that he would play. You know, and I think that's really the question that's everyone's asked. It's not Bryson per se or anything else. It's like, do we want, is this the best, is the best version of the game? People hitting it as hard as they can, eating as much food as they can, hitting it as far up they can, don't care about the rough and then just back footing wedges out of the rough onto the greens. Is that the game we want to play? Or do we want to see Corey Pavin like shaping forwards into the last hole to four feet? Like what, you know, like which version of the game do you want? And I really think the playing field Pro, I, 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 the more I think about it, the more the playing field, we just evolve to perform as well as we can on the field that's presented to us. We're always going to get better. You cannot stop that. That's evolution. It's always going to get better. And it was in a very linear fashion. But as soon as they started adding a thousand yards to all these courses and watering, watering the fairways more in the driving distance and, you know, really having carries of 320, the thing that makes a difference is smashing it. Like I can't get past it. Like if, if, if distance was basically not rewarded or basically everybody could hit it far enough. It was all about how they hit it and where they hit it. I think that might be a more interesting question asked and you might get more interesting variety of players, but I'm not saying that in a negative. I, I think Bryson's a legend. I love what he's doing. He is. Yeah. I think it's he's doing what we've all wished we could have been smart enough to do or talented enough to do or hardworking enough All three. He's ticking every box and he's doing it. It's really amazing. And he's doing it. In such, a, he's always smiling. He's happy. He he's having so much fun, and that's fun to watch when someone's having fun. And I think that's a, it's important because he's doing extraordinary stuff. And and the important thing now is he's doing this, and people are like, "Oh my god!" I like I could only imagine being like the greens chair at a club that just did a restoration that is planning on hosting a U.S. Open and watch what just happened at Wingfoot. I'd be like, "Oh." I mean, we did this all wrong or yeah, thinking wow. that way. Um, yeah. But the important thing is to think like, and this is what I've really thought a lot about is, okay, we did this all wrong when Tiger came along and we did completely the opposite of what we should have done if you wanted to, to Tiger proof courses. And his dad even said as much. I think there's a, a famous like quote of Earl saying, if you want to mess with Tiger, Make it six thousand yards. Don't make it. I mean, have you ever played the ladies' tees? Like, not the lady, the forward tees at a course, and tried to shoot really low. It's great fun, and it's weird. It's hard. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, 
It's it's extremely it's nothing hard. fits. Your clubs don't fit anymore. Like you've got to use different clubs, and you don't know what lines to hit it. And it's different. It's interesting, right? It's different. Like it's brilliant. I just yeah. I think the irony is really if you actually t- the tiger proofing thing, there wasn't a problem. Then there there was a perceived problem. Then t- they all this, this tiger proof. One of a better phrase. It's a ridiculous phrase, but the tiger proofing is actually the problem. The, the the reaction to a non-problem actually created, if you want to say this is a problem, it probably is that it's it the the, the solution was the problem. That's the irony. Like that's the frustration thing too. It's like, well, if you just done nothing and just let Tiger be Tiger, golf. I mean, Bryson might still be the best golfer in the world, but it would look different. He would be a different looking golfer. You know, if the courses were six thousand seven hundred yards, they were firm. There was fly rough. It was a difference. We, all right, we're going to stop challenging on distance. We're going to find other ways to challenge these guys. Um, so if you can hit it up to... Because look, 300 yards with, is elite at any level, right? Like, well, well done. You shouldn't have to ask. The reason golf is so enduring is it asks a lot of different questions and there's a very broad skill set required. Now there's, there's less. There's it's, less of a skill set required. more predictable. Yeah, and so you're just going to end up with golfers who Bryson has just absolutely mastered the number one skill that gives you just a massive advantage. And he's done it completely, as I said, like hats off. It's awesome. I wish I could have done the same thing. But if the questions being asked were different questions, he would have answered those better than everyone else. And is that a better looking game? I don't know. You know, Is that less scary for greens committees and stuff? And look, what another thing is too, is this golf mentality historically People have cared about par. Like, what does par even mean? Like, it's it's a line in the sand. You know, it's actually irrelevant. It's just a it's a it's a measuring stick. It just makes it easy to measure other golfers against other golfers during a round. You know, you don't say he's had sixteen shots when he's walking down the fifth hole. Like, he's even, right? That's that's easier and that's a better and it's nice to have like a a benchmark. But they didn't like make par in the hundred meters at like. 10 seconds and keep making the hundred meters a little bit longer. So they always ran 10 seconds. So now it's 127. Like, what are you doing? It's just people get faster. Like if people shoot lower scores and go, well, that's cool. It's still something. Everyone in golf is obsessed with shooting lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. And yet at the top end of the game, they've said, no, we're stopping scoring right there. So they've just, it just gets distorted and weird. The setup at that level to try to dictate a score. And they can say they don't do it as much as they want, but everybody does it in some ways. And, and I think that mentality, again, it has the opposite effect. Like it, it, like Dustin, I mean, Boston's a mint course and a really fun course to play, but they've piled all sorts of distance on that. And it's 30 under par. Like you can't do it by distance. You know, it's just, you can't, it just doesn't work. And it's just a less interesting version of the game to watch. If it's just a flog show, that's my position. Do you see that but, uh, shot that Rory like duffed into the water? At Eastlake. Oh yeah, I, I yeah. Everyone who's played at Eastlake, everyone thinks he's topped it and stuff. Nah, that rough is so deep and so thick. That is gnarly. I've, I've most guys in the field when they drive it to where he did, or they or in that rough on that hole, there's a massive decision to make. You know, it's smelly. It's smelly. It just didn't look. Really, it looked pretty funny on TV. But. One of the things that golf has, every other sport, like what you were just talking about. They've gone through these innovations like NBA. They're shooting more threes than ever, but they have defenses that respond to what the offense is doing on a court that doesn't change or tennis, you know, or 
baseball like everybody adjusts like they the baseball's got the switch like soccer you know they've innovated at different offenses and then the defense responds to it but the court the the field never changes with golf the weird thing is nobody's playing defense except for setup and setup's yeah, just been yeah. essentially aiding the offense it's like if you like the analogy with music like at the moment the best golfer is the guy who hits it the hardest basically it's like the band. The best band is the loudest band. You know what I mean? <laughs> That'd be bad. Like the best concert. I pay the most money to go to the loudest concert. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, it's that though, right? It's like loud is really important in music, but it's proportionate to the quality to everything else. Like golf is just like it's just gone too loud. Where the I'm not going to that guy unless he can hit it three twenty. He's he's crap unless he can hit it three thirty. You know, like that's kind of what's happening, and uh. Again, it's fine. And I understand why it's got there. And there's a fear. You don't want pros to just be flicking 60s into every hole. And I don't think you could evolve the game. You've got to evolve the game. Just let it evolve. Let's just let it shape out. And let's not covet power as the only thing. Like, let's, how do we set up this game or drift this game in a direction where it's back to all that nuance and variety and short hitters and long hitters. And there's, there's advantages to be gained all over the game. It's just, you kind of, you, you do it the best you can. It's not just out. If you can't hit it miles, you can't do it. Um, yeah. The loudest band. Can you imagine? I think golfers are starting to notice this stuff because we saw in December at the president's cup. I mean, it, within 10 minutes of the first tee shot, you realize, Whoa, distance this isn't the most important thing. You just watch him play the first hole there. And it was like, whoa, you're not, you, you don't want to drive it all the way up there. Laying back is the right thing to do. Well, it's a bit like Tenet Riv. Tenet Riv has become a better hole now that people can hit it past the green with a driver. You know what I mean? Now distance doesn't matter. Now everybody can get it there. Now who plays the hole the best? I mean, so you can't have Tenet Riviera everywhere, but you can kind of understand that the principles that that, brings out would bring out a really cool game if you had that 18 times you know and Royal Melbourne really and the great, a lot of the great courses Royal Melbourne and the Sandbelt are very limited on land so they can't really make it much longer and it's always firm and running but yeah Royal distance is a distinct advantage but it's proportionate to all the other skills required you know you can't just out and out just hit driver in every hole because you're just going to run through corners and run it into run it into crappy rough and trees and so you you f- you start hitting the clubs. Look, if the tour was around Royal Melbourne every week for thirty weeks, it'd be like the old course thing. We would all start. You're, I would drift back to Titleist and say, "Hey, I want a ball. I need to spin it a bit more from inside 150." You know, I mean, I really want to be able to hold that shot up. I really want to be able to move it in the air to get it back to those right pins. And it over 10, 15, 20 years of that, it would evolve back more into that direction. You can't just if they every rule change they make is annoying and it doesn't work. Like the groove thing didn't work. The like putting, all you do the is putting like, thing you... just drove, drove Bryson to the arm lock, you know, like <laughs> it drove him to, it forced him to find a different way. Cause he didn't a want be- to do it. Well. Probably a better kind of way. Cool. A better way. I like how he puts. I think it's a good way to putt. Um, the, uh, I've lost the train of thought. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It's just, uh, the Titleist would, the equipment manufacturers, like with the groove thing, they change the grooves. All it makes them do is spend a lot of money on making better grooves, which they wouldn't have done if you hadn't have changed the rules. Not as much. 
So they all put all this deep research in, and now we've got all these scored faces and all of these things that um, are within the new rules, but they actually spend more than they ever did. So you, you stop, stop trying to like stop this technology thing and actually just ask a different question. So technology will chase different things. You know what I mean? You can obviously have rules in place. You can't have crazy grooves and all that. But what I'm, what I'm saying is we're only going to evolve and play and ask, answer the questions that we get asked. It's just ask a few different questions, I think, and for I a think long period of time. And there should be a place for events that that power is reward. There should be power events. And maybe 100%. maybe the U.S. Open is the power event because the Masters and the Open champion. But it's not... It's not about hitting fairways anymore. That's very clear. What you just said reminded me, Garrett Morrison, our managing editor, did this documentary podcast series on the ball. Mm-hmm. And John Lowe, you know, he, he was the big fighter of the of the gutty ball. Not the gutty ball, the uh, Haskell. Because, mm-hmm. he, he, you know, distant explosion. And he fought and fought, and he got the manufacturers to agree on a certain spec. And he thought he won. Because he said, oh, they, they're not going to design anything that goes further because I've got them on the specs. And then I think like within a month of him, them agreeing to these specs, they released a ball that went 20 yards further. You can't do it that way. It just doesn't work. Like, you know, like people are smarter than that. People are good. And, and like, that's what people say. Is like, they, oh, they, they've got restrictions. They can't. It's like every driver goes further. Because they figure something out. They optimize it in a different little way. Yeah, and they figure it out. And they say, oh, we're at the limit now. We're at the limit now. No, we're not. <laughs> they can just keep finding a way. Like, they'll just find a different way. No one could have pictured what Bryson's doing. you know. And he's about to go to a 48-inch shaft, and he can work that out. He's going to hit it at 380. Like, it's going to be... That's going to be nuts. You know what I mean? So that's fine. If someone can do that, I like the long drive stuff and people hitting it far and Bryson and the whole thing. It's awesome. They're just all they're doing now, I'm convinced, is they're answering the questions they're asked. And I think if you made it less important to hit it that far, then it would be less important. And you couldn't just purely win based on power. Now, he's not winning based on power. It's giving him a monstrous advantage. He's still doing amazing other things. You know what I mean? To still shoot 600 in a week, it's not just about 72 tee shots, you know. But... um it's and again, it's not what he's doing. It's the style that he's doing it in. It's just be more attractive to see, you know, like the odd three iron every now and then with a bit of shape, or just like half shots and like just nuance and just just different stuff. Just not the same game plan on every hole. You yeah. know, I think less formulaic. And the only way you do that is is to trick people, ask different questions, or ask more than one question on one hole or one course. That would be, you know. I think you see like Harbor Town, he had to play a completely different style there. You know? Absolutely. If we played Harbor Town as a perfect example, if we played Harbor Town every week in every tournament, there's no chance anyone is playing golf like that. There's no chance because you just couldn't, you can't do it. You know? Webb Simpson so he would, would have be worked the best there. He would have done the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, and good. And the variety is good. You want to have your Torrey Pine South, where the, I mean, someone like Bryson and Tiger and Dustin and that Torrey Pine South, it's just, a, just, they're just mega advantage or Beth page, you know? Um, and I like that test, but if it's every test is, is that Beth page black Tory Pine South style test really long, just a brutal grind of long irons and stuff for most of the field. Or we, golf is just going to get longer and longer. People are just going to hit it further and further. Like, it's just all that's going to happen. 
say you're setting up Tori next year and you don't want it to be a distance fest, what do you do? I turn the sprinkles off about two months before the tournament. Um, but no, I, it's firmness is really, really important. Tori in 2008, by the way, I think was one of the better setups I've ever played in the US Open. That was a brilliant US Open. Um, the Kikuyu rough and the, the, the graduated, the Kikuyu stuff, uh, it kind of sits on top, like on a, mm-hmm. like it's floating on all this kind of thatch of grass. When I'd grown up with a bit of that in Melbourne, so I kind of knew how to handle it. But if you go one groove high, you go a little deep on that, the ball goes like Rory's did at Eastlake. It goes nowhere. But I kind of liked it because it gave someone who worked out how to hit at it. There was a skill. It wasn't a power question. It was a skill question out of the rough. Um, it's always a skill question, but you know what I mean? It was, it was more about the art of hitting, the, hitting it out of that lie. Like you say, like a flyer lie is the same than it was just out and out. Whoever's the strongest can hack it out the most. And I liked that. Um, and it was brilliant weather. Those West Coast Opens, they're like 78 degrees every day and sunny, you know, and you'd have the storms and you'd have crazy wind. And um, I would just go firm. The firmer, the better, really, and unpredictable rough. And just have at it, boys. Like, if you go low, you go low. Like, what's the difference, you know? And I don't think... The score, I think, is the one, one of the issues. If, if we just let people shoot what they wanted and just set up courses, how do I find the best player who has the biggest toolkit and who's bringing more skills to this tournament? How do I find that guy, you know? How what? do I test him mentally? How do I test his, his accuracy, his shaping, his short game, his ability to, to make good decisions... Hit it, hit it straight, hit it long. I want to ask all those questions, you know, and find the best player there. And um, if it was that and whatever he shoots, he shoots, you know, then I think it's a bit, bit easier way to set up a course than trying to dictate a score and then working out how you're going to get them to do that. What would a four or what would be a score winner at Royal Melbourne? Because I think everybody that watched the President's Cup they watched it and they were like, oh, my God, Tiger's the best player in the world. Um, Royal Melbourne, yeah, well, he clearly... It, he had so all the shots. It was a question that only he could completely answer, you know. With 24 of the best golfers in the world around, he was head and shoulders above the rest, you know, because it was asking... I mean, it was t- like it was asking tough questions and he had the answers. Um, I don't know. Look, if it was windy, it would be single digits, if it was dead still, I mean, Ernie shot 60 there 20 years ago. So on a dead still day and he had a freaky day, like it can be done. Um, it, it's like the masters. It, it's similar to the, it's probably not quite as difficult as Augusta now, but it's similar. You get, you you would spread the field. You might get 14 or 15 winning it on a normal weather week. And you would have 10 under being third. You would have five under being 12th. You know what I mean? It would spread the field. It's just interesting. I just, I, yeah. And I'm not, this is not a negative thing. I don't know. It's, everything about this Bryson thing is amazingly awesome. I just think it's interesting that it's a reaction of, it, the reaction of golf in general, of lengthening and toughening and tiger proofing was to prevent this day. And it actually sped it up and made it happen. That's what I find so funny. It just actively <laughs> promoted it. You know, yeah. it, it's, uh, and obviously, Tiger, one of the things he did, he brought a ton of money in. And any time a, a, a ton of money comes into a sport, you're going to get more athletes 
and more interest and participation from young people because of the, you know, the money that you can earn in it. Yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. Tiger, what a change. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, he brought so much money. And the, he made it cool too. Like when I was a kid, golf wasn't that cool. Yeah. I didn't really tell all my mates at school I played golf. I kind of just played golf on the side. And then later on they said, oh, you play golf? That's cool, you know. But it, but now it's like, it's cool to be a golfer when you're seven, you know. And we're like tour golf shirts and Titleist hats and stuff when you're seven down at the range and hitting balls with a track man and stuff. I mean, that's like a normal thing now. And Tiger absolutely made it cool, you know. So you think Bryson's going to win at Augusta? History probably says no, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. But look, it's only two weeks since, I mean, three weeks ago, who's going to beat Dustin playing golf? You know what I mean? Like it changes. I mean, this is just, it's it's just one thing. But um, DJ doesn't do as well at the Masters as he probably should, you know. I feel but, like, um, yeah, he's, he's not as should always... as you would expect. As you would expect, should's a ridiculous way to say it. As you would expect, um, Masters is a different animal. Like there's there's a there's a, a mental question asked at the Masters that's unique to the Masters. Um, you're un- it, it makes you nervous the course and the tournament and everything much more than any other tournament. And I think. Uh, it still it still probably does the best of all the big tournament venues, regular tournament venues of um, giving you a variety of leaderboard and interesting names across like generations and stuff. Now you always get a couple of young guys. You'd always get that 47 year old guy hasn't like competed anywhere else for a while, but he like does well at the masters. He's up there and stuff that wasn't going to happen at Wingfoot, right? Like the, but Augusta that can happen. So it's one of the harder tournaments to predict in the world, probably masters. Yeah. It's always a big name, but it's it is random, and I think people have been lured into thinking power is like the only thing that matters, and everybody's you know, and I think lately it's been it hasn't you know they haven't all been power players, which is the interesting thing because everybody's long. Well, you what's just a power to... player now? What's a power player now? They're exactly, all, all yeah. like you know, your average the average PGA Tour player averages two ninety six. It's insane. If you can, if you can get it to two and fifteen, if you can get it to fifteen and two with a mid iron or a, like a four or five iron, you're long enough at Augusta. You don't need to be much longer than that. You know what I mean? Um, that's very long, to be fair. To hit five, four or five iron into fifteen, but if you can hit it that far, you, you're all right. And anything above and beyond that, it'll be interesting to see where Bryson hits it because if he actually has a good driving week, the advantage he's going to have is going to be outrageous. You know, it's gonna be re- he's gonna be so far down the hill on two. He's gonna be up the hill on eight. It's gonna be nuts. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, but you can't be quite as cavalier on it. It's ironically or weirdly enough, it's wider. But you can't be probably quite as cavalier because the rough catches his ball too, right? At Wingfoot, like he can hit it as hard as he wants in a certain area. Well, it's only it's gonna it'll, it it's got a backboard. The rough will stop it. Augusta, there's less of a backboard. You know, it'll keep rolling a bit. Like fourteen, what's he gonna do? And it's just going to go into the right trees and he's going to have to shape one around the corner or there's a few other questions asked. Um, I don't know. We'll see. It'd be fun to watch. It's going to be a good tournament. I mean, 
what a golf season, hey? Like considering like when everything was getting cancelled in March, it's like, yeah. oh, what a disaster. It's going. We actually had a real golf season, a really cool season. It's been amazing. Yeah, it's, it was cool seeing Wingfoot without fans. I know that the fans would have added something, especially on Sunday. But that that was the other thing. The rough caught everything around the greens at Wingfoot. And I think I think that was something that if they had if it had been shorter rough, even the ball rolls a little further away from those greens, or it would have been. I mean, you imagine having to hit a fifteen yard shot left of some of those pins, like you short side yourself and you're down fifteen yards away, having to hit back to those greens. It'd be disaster. Yeah, like it would be really interesting to see uh, short grass all over wing foot and just see. If you had everything else the same as last week, but no rough and just short grass everywhere, what would the score look like? It would probably be lower, but I don't know. It'd be interesting. You know, if balls would like one bounce over the back of the green and go 20 yards as opposed to be a foot over the back, you know, like you say, there's, there's some, maybe some smelly chip shots and stuff on some of those greens. You know, you but one bounce it over the back of the first green and it's 20 yards over the back. Well, you're not getting that shot on the green ever. But in the rough, it's only one yard over the back and you can kind of just flop it out, you know? I don't know. All that stuff's just interesting. Just variety, right? On that sort of level, I think. I was talking to Zach uh, Blair about fairness and how nobody would ever say Wingfoot's unfair. And his theory was that because there's rough everywhere, nobody will ever say it's unfair. But at Shinnecock, people will say it's unfair because the ball, they hit a good shot. It, misses it goes over the green then it rolls 25 yards away and while it's rolling there's this psychological thing that takes over that that the player just starts to think god this is so unfair do you think that's true well unfair in that context is a synonym for synonym for difficult right at some point players it's different and difficult and people don't like that um yeah i agree completely i think uh you can't say enough about firmness and Shinnecock always plays firm and until that tournament, right? Firmness and the ball not being done once it lands on the ground, the more it does once it lands on the ground, the more interesting golf gets. Absolutely. Cause the shape matters. The flight matters. You can't just fly it in the middle of the green and know you've got that kind of rough at the back to just catch it from going down the hill. You've really got to, it just, it, it just kind of amplifies It amplifies mistakes, firmness, soft, soft conditions and rough, dumb them down turn them what's the what's yeah. the what's the opposite of amplify i'd say dull subdue uh, soft, subdue soften. or dull yeah soften yeah like it's uh i think yeah for sure wingfoot it, is completely fair shinnecock's completely fair if you hit the good shot i mean it's probably not when they they're rolling at 16 on the stint meter but rolling at 11 on the stint meter is like the fairest course there is you know it's just really hard yeah it, it that's the the thing i think they had the firmness last week if they if the ball just roll if they had more places to go, I think then you might have seen you Bryson still probably wins. He did everything better than but I think you'd see you would have seen more guys with a shot. More styles with a shot, really. And people will say, yes. Oh, Zach Johnson finished eighth. He had no chance. No, it's not about the Bryson win. Bryson wins around anywhere at the moment, probably. Yeah. But it's the it's the style of golf that's required is maybe less interesting than if you have a setup that lets Zach Johnson compete with Bryson, you know, and everyone in between. Yeah. 
Um, it's just a bit more interesting. It's just fun. It's a fun period though to see everyone's reactions because I think all the players are going to go home and like they're all going to be like starting to read physics books. You know, a golf machine might sell a few copies. You know what I mean? Like I, I think, think they're going to all hit the gym. They're all going to hit the gym and they're all going to start eating and it's going to be interesting to see the reaction. It could ruin know? some people. Yeah, like as you were saying too, no one's ever done this and actually made it work. Like, and he's actually made it work. So it could be a recipe for disaster for a lot of people, you know. Because he's unique, such a unique human. He's such a interesting guy. As I said, he, talk about attention deficit disorder. I mean, and his mind is a million miles an hour. He needs to distract his mind kind of thing when he plays guys. As I said, I was, he, for 100 yards at the 18th, he's winning the USA. I couldn't understand. He All he was doing was, numbers in his book walking up the last fairway like this is now if you've ever got a time where you can actually put the book down is now but he didn't but what it is I th- it, like it struck me as this is a way he keeps himself occupied so he doesn't think about all the bad stuff that most people are thinking about that can happen in a situation like that. he's like wow the temperature's this and the ball went this and he'll note it down and he'll put it in his little thing so he's distracting himself from the fact that he's actually has to win the US Open on this hole, you know? I think it's genius. Or just it suits his personality, so I'm saying his approach. I don't know if it would suit everybody's, but it, certainly it's perfect for him. Hey, uh tell me about uh I'm going to change the subject. I've seen some videos on Twitter, uh Sandy Links where you grew up playing. Oh yeah, mint. Yeah, Sandy's cool. It's uh right next door to Royal Melbourne. So it's kind of sandwiched next to and in between Royal Melbourne and Victoria and Sandringham, all Sandy, all are next to each other. And it's the public municipal city-owned course that I was playing at from seven or eight, you know, all the time. I mean, a fantastic place. But it's always been a proper muni in that they spent the bare minimum, not much staff, you know, but it was a great uh, – it actually historically, way, way back before there was like di- player dining and stuff at tournaments um, – which is not that long ago in the eighties and nineties when I was watching golf and it's watching golf tournaments in Australia, the pros would all come play at Royal Melbourne. They'd all just walk across the road in their foot joy classics and walk up the drive at Sandy. Cause the food there was better you know, than in the clubhouse. So cool. anyway, so it's, it's kind of got a part of a history. Yeah. Peter Fowler and Peter senior and all these old school Australian pros and Norman used to go over for lunch at Sandy, you know, like it was the thing. Um, but anyway, Royal Melbourne got the lease. These things are operated by a leaseholder, the city doesn't, the city gives somebody the tender or whatever and they operate it. So Royal Melbourne got the lease for 50 years, about 10 or so years ago. And um, they're, them and the, the PGA and the Golf Australia, who's our USGA, are kind of centralizing there. So they, with this massive multi million dollar project to build their headquarters there and a driving range. And so the driving range, which would be the home of like the elite. Like the golf stuff. Australia kit. Like yeah, all that year. stuff. So, yeah, it's magic. So they kind of lost two holes. And so they had all these ideas about, they lost two holes. So they had to work out, do we want to have a 12 hole course and a par three or blah, blah, blah. But no, they wanted 18 holes. So it's going to be 18 sandbelt level holes, but it, I don't even know the distance, but it would be in the fives at the most. Um, but fantastic. So much fun. I mean, what a place to learn how to play golf. Um Brilliant. And Royal Melbourne looks after it. So the, the superintendent staff, the, the ground staff at Royal Melbourne, they're going to maintain Sandy. Same greens, so cool. Sutton's, Sutton's mixed bent greens, the same sharp edges, the proper sandbelt bunkers, the whole thing. Yeah, it's really, really cool. You guys and it's going to be a $40, right? it's going to be a $40 game for everybody. You know, it's going to be brilliant. Yeah, we've done it. Yeah, Michael did it mostly. Yeah, it was his little baby. Yeah, it's been brilliant. Yeah. 
it's I mean, and it's so neat that the club you imagine if if in every city like the high the big club in every city had had their muni that they had the lease at and then the state golf association worked out of there. How good yeah, how a, good municipal golf would be. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's showing it's it's going to be good here too cuz it's kind of showing muni golf has always been like low budget, bad just come up and like pay a bare minimum and play around a golf around a crappy place, but it's all about just being with your boys, right? And the dress codes being sensible and stuff. But there's no reason it can't be a great course, right? In great condition. It just there's especially in Melbourne, like here where it's relative to a lot of other places, relatively easier to keep it in great condition than in some climates. You know, it's a perfect climate. It's right next door to Royal Melbourne and Victoria. I and mean, it's like it just grass just grows nicely. You know, it's just one of those areas. There's no reason why it can't be at the same level as private courses, you know, for lower budgets and for, for access for everybody. And if I was a beginning golfer you're just more likely to continue the game if the courses that you play are nice you just are because it's just oh that was nice let's go do this grass is lovely isn't it you know all that stuff and like you just get more into it and you become a and if the course asks you interesting questions and it's it's just a big fun field it's not built for bryson you know it's the it's the opposite it's the anti it's the anti construction it's like this is the course for all you know and I'd oh, go out there. For me, it would be six clubs, five clubs. You know, it'd be so much fun. It'd be the perfect place to test this theory of, you know, what happens if it's 5,000 yards. It would be interesting. The first week you go to a 5,000 yard course, everyone would hit driver onto the greens on every hole. But eventually, if that wasn't working, they would just evolve the way that worked the best, you know? And what does that look like? Is it looking like this? I don't know. That's what I think would be interesting. I think. And those are the holes where you see the most changes and and big changes in strategy are a lot of times like where if a pin changes you might play it one way one day pin changes you play a different way another day yeah you get those you get if you get really firm greens and bunkers that are like right up next to the greens and you get some really tight pins that left pin you don't want to be on the left side coming over that bunker because it's firm and you can't stop it so the left pin you have to be up the right hand side and then you've got this big opening on the right hand side of the green and a slope that helps you if you drive it up the right it's quite an easy shot. Everybody can handle it. You drive it up the left, it's really tough. Um, and the course is like that all the way around. So it's even at a basic level, most people don't notice stuff like that. They notice it even if they're not noticing it, you know, like it gets into them a little bit. Oh, you got the right on the fourth and you got the left on the fifth and all oh, the pins move. So I think I have to go up the right today on this hole, you know? I think they eventually is, figure it out yeah. too, you know? that That's the thing is even if they don't, like they can't do it and dissect it the first time, eventually... If they put, if, if, you know, even a, a regular golfer, you know, like I've, I played, I played Pinehurst number two with these like regulars and I watched them play and it was just unbelievable. <laughs> you know, like I was, I, you know, like you get paired with two randoms and you were, you're not sure, but like, you know, this guy, this guy would hit it short left on, on, on one hole on eight. He would, he would, he didn't even try and hit the green on eight. He hit it to the short right, you know, so he could chip it right up the hill. Like yeah, yeah. it was just unbelievable to watch. Yeah, and it, and the guy wouldn't have known if I said, "Hey, can you dissect this hole somewhere else?" He wouldn't have a clue. But he he figured out how to play a golf hole for him. And he was a twenty five handicap older guy that hit it low, and you know. But he figured out how to play Pinehurst number two. We're always going to gravitate to the path of least resistance, right? Whether we know or not, we're always going to go to that. Um, 
gravitate to the, the, the way that works for us the best, whether we know we're doing it or not. Cause it's just human nature. You know, we find the easy way. Um, yeah. And if you ask different questions on every hole, it takes longer for people to work that out. But I think it's, it's fun to watch it get worked out, you know, in a variety of ways. And that would be the way you tie it. Like everybody's complaining about like, it's unrelatable, but all Bryson did was he found the, uh, the path of least resistance for himself. He's found the line of charm, which is now not the line that used to be, you know, like he, he the line of charm has changed and he's found it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's just, it's just, um, yeah, I can't say enough about how impressive it is. I mean, it's nuts, but yeah, Sandy's fun. Short little munis, I think, um, are a great accessible, good condition, high quality kind of approachable courses at a reasonable price every city should have multiple you know i think it's too much private golf in the world private golf's grouse obviously right but um some of the best courses in the world are effectively like public access courses you know yeah and it's but the trouble is they're either crappy condition and crappy or they're pebble beach and they're 500 bucks you know there's there's no there's less middle ground you know and i think that what a service to your citizens if you're like a city or a like a state that you can provide public playing fields that are great for people to play the sport what a great addition to a city you know and sandy's is a sign of that you know they're disappearing all around the world and this one's actually improving which is a nice sign yeah that's great all right we're wrapping it there we've we've exhausted the subject matter so yeah Thanks for coming on. I'm sure it was pretty cool to watch U.S. Open at Wingfoot, and uh, we'll uh, we'll hopefully talk to you soon here. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. It was great. It was. Uh, wish I could have been there, but um, I wasn't going to be able to compete with that at any level if I was playing. So it was fun to watch from here for sure. <laughs> it's uh, all right. Talk to you soon. All right, good stuff. Cheers, man.